0: Hey, it's me again. Uh, Welcome back. You've probably been in in this situation. You're maybe visiting uh, another city, or you're just trying to, you just want to try something new. And so you ask someone for a restaurant recommendation. So you ask someone you trust, and, and they say, oh, I know the perfect place for you. They say, this place has incredible service. You'll love the serving staff there. This place has amazing food. It's the best food you have ever tasted. And it's like cheaper than McDonald's. So it's like, man, like those are three incredible references. Like amazing staff, amazing food, amazing prices. I'm in. But then your friend says, just one one thing you should know. About one out of every four times you eat there, you will get violently ill. Like blow the doors off the house ill. Okay, so like, it, 25%, it's not too big a deal, 25%. Otherwise, oh, amazing food, amazing service, amazing prices. Would you eat there? Any gamblers in the room, right? 75% of the time, it could be pretty good. No, because the restaurant has some good things going for it, but it lacks consistency. It lacks consistency. Great things, but it lacks. And what's going to happen is it's going to breed an absence of trust. People aren't going to trust They're not going to be able to fulfill their mission. They're not going to be able to fulfill their goals. They're not going to be able to serve people they want to because they lack consistency and people aren't going to engage. And it's not just restaurants that this can happen to. It can happen to all kinds of organizations and it can happen to churches. I think one of the things a lot of churches struggle with is consistency. A lot of churches have some really great things going for them, but don't consistently stick to their mission. Don't consistently stick to their values. Don't consistently pursue their goals. There's a lot of distractions, a lot of ways to get off track, and a lack of consistency hampers mission, hampers vision, and hampers a church from fulfilling its calling. One key to being consistent is to clearly articulate what your mission is and to clearly articulate what your values are, those things that are most important to you. And then to passionately pursue your mission and values at the expense of everything else. That's one thing we are trying to do as a church. We struggle with consistency as much as anybody, but we are trying to clearly articulate our mission and our values and passionately pursue those things at the expense of those things which would distract us. So that's what we're doing this month. In September, we, we, in the last couple of years, we've tended to do this, this vision-oriented series, and we're doing the same thing this month, particularly around our values. So a bit of a recap. Uh, our mission, which we introduced last year, is that we are all about helping each other follow Jesus at home, in our city, and around the world. I want everybody to memorize that statement, not just for the sake of memorizing it, but so that we can internalize it. Everything we do here is about helping each other follow Jesus. When we try to implement new ministries or or develop strategies, we think through this. Is this going to better help us help each other follow Jesus? Or will this distract us from our main purpose? And so we do this together. If, If helping each other follow Jesus does not interest you, there might be a better church for you. Just saying, right? But we believe that when God calls people into a community, he calls you here for a purpose because we all have something to share. We all have personal resources and skills and gifts from the spirit, all kinds of ways that we can participate, large or small, in helping each other follow Jesus. You can help me follow Jesus as much as I help you follow Jesus because we're in this together. But we've been focusing particularly this month on our values, those things which are most important to us. And the cool thing is when you pursue a mission consistently and you live out your values consistently in a short amount of time or in a couple of years, the world is a different place. When you pursue a mission consistently, when you live out your values consistently, the world is a different place. It begins to align and you begin to see the fruit of that pursuit. And so we are refreshing these these concepts, and we've been refreshing our values to reintroduce to you in this month. So, values. Each of us lives by a set of values. And you may not have intentionally articulated your values, but if we do enough examination of your habits, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, we can actually pretty easily discern what you value most. And a church church, has values as well. Last week, we introduced to you uh, the value of partnership from the Greek word koinonia that's sometimes translated as fellowship. But another good translation for that is partnership because fellowship isn't just about shaking hands and, and holding babies and having church potlucks. Fellowship or partnership in the first century, that was a term of business where two parties, two or more parties joined together in partnership to share resources toward a common purpose. We have a mission together, so we're going to join together and work on this together. Our value of partnership reminds us that whenever we do something, whenever we sense that God is calling us towards something, we need to find a way to do it together. Because together we can do so much than we could ever do separated. Together we can do so much more than we could do on our own. We don't just come and watch religious professionals do all the ministry. We all find a way to be a part of the big body of Christ. So today, we're introducing our second value to you. Last week, we had some people come up and say, um, you didn't tell us all four values. And those people don't have the value of patience. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're intentionally just, just communicating them one at a time, not to hide anything, but because if we just said them all and then you had to wait to hear about it, you might just misunderstand or, or make assumptions about what they mean. So we want to introduce them one at a time so we can explain it all as we go. And if you know you're going to miss a Sunday, we, we do ask you to go to our podcast, go to our website, and catch up, because these are obviously very important in our church life. So uh, our values correlate with four practices we see in the early church and we see that they were devoted to. Acts 2.42, this is a refresh from last week. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I've said it many times, if today's church wants to experience some of the same results the early church experienced, today's church needs to be devoted to the same things the early church was devoted to. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, really engaging with the scriptures. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to prayer. So our vo- value of uh, partnership related to their practice of fellowship. But today's value relates to the practice of prayer. Here it is. We value prayerfulness. We value prayerfulness. This is not the same thing as the practice or the habit or the action of prayer, but it's a value that undergirds that action. It undergirds and gives purpose to the action of prayer. Now, last week I talked about that there there are these things called permission to play values. And a permission to play value is a value that's evident just because of the industry you're in. And you don't need to necessarily communicate them because it's obvious. So like a soccer team doesn't need to say, we value scoring goals. A mechanic doesn't need to say, we value wrenches. If I ask you what's most important to you, you don't need to say, well, air is pretty important to me. I value water. Water is a real big value for me. I know that you're a human being. What, but what, what differentiates you? What makes you unique? What are some unique things that are important to you that helps me get to know you in a specific way? So when it comes to values, we want to think about uh, what are the unique things about APA that, that differentiate us, that make us different than other churches who might have a similar mission, but we're a unique uh, expression of the body of Christ in Abbotsford. Now, you might think, well, prayerfulness is one of those permission to play values. And we struggled a little bit with that as we were thinking about how to articulate this. But we saw something unique in our church family. As we discerned together and met with people and had vision gatherings and prayed through all these, we saw something about prayer that went deeper than just the generic church value that we value prayer. There's a calling on our church toward prayer. There's a fervency and a hunger there that we've seen so evident in our church family. For us, it's more than a segment of our service. It's more than a midweek gathering. It's more than an item to check off the list or a discipline we practice. There's something deeper for us about prayer than just the action itself. I think there's a difference between the activity of prayer and the value of prayerfulness. Whereas prayer is an action, prayerfulness is an orientation. Whereas prayer is a practice, prayerfulness is a way of living. Whereas prayer is a habit, prayerfulness embodies who we are called to be and what we are called to do. Prayer is an activity, but prayerfulness is the value that undergirds why we pray so much. There's uh, a popular song on the charts these days, sung by an artist um, with the unfortunate stage name of Jelly Roll. Uh, <laughs> I didn't make it up, um, and you'll forgive the slightly inappropriate use of a biblical term, but let me, let me quote his lyrics. He says, I only talk to God when I need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the hell am I, who the hell am I to expect a savior? Oh, if I only talk to God when I need a favor, but God, I need a favor. In my mind, these lyrics represent a very common attitude toward prayer not just in the world, but in the church. That we see prayer as the thing we do when all else fails. We see prayer as the thing we do when we need God to do something for us. Like, oh, I need something, so I'm going to ring my bell and God, my butler, is going to come and serve my need. It's such a common understanding of what prayer is, that prayer is some sort of transaction we have between us and God. It's an activity we participate in only as an ad, on an as-needed basis. But when you take the action of prayer and you go deeper to the value of prayerfulness, what it does is it says, this isn't just about getting God to do stuff for me. This isn't about performing a regular religious duty. This is about fostering a life-giving friendship with God. The God who wants to know me, the God who so desired a relationship with me that he actually incarnated, became flesh, became human, died on a cross so that we could have a relationship. Prayerfulness undergirds that activity. It's learning how to hear God's voice, seeking his face, knowing his heart more than an action. It's a way we live and engage with the holy God of the universe. So we value not just prayer, but prayerfulness. You see how we live this out all the time, Just even just specifically at a Sunday service. We start and end our services in prayer. We pray all throughout. We have prayer ministry time either in the middle of the service or at the end so that you can receive prayer from someone who wants to walk side by side with you. We have pre-service prayer in our prayer room. We have four weekday prayer meetings that you can participate in During the week, we host regular worship and prayer nights, and we have weekend long or week long 24 hour prayer rooms. We have an annual month of prayer in the new year. Our staff spends literally half of our time in staff meeting praying together. We pray for half the time, we plan for half the time. Everything we do is permeated with prayer. We're not just a church that prays, we're a prayerful church. Are you starting to hear the difference? Let's look at a passage of Scripture that will highlight how a New Testament church was learning how to be a prayerful church, and it can give us more of a case study and show us how we can continue to value prayerfulness ourselves. We're back in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 this time. Uh, Just a short passage from verse 4 to 7, a pretty classic text on prayer. Paul says to the Philippian church, he says, "'Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice.'" Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This passage represents how prayerfulness was integrated into the life of the Philippian church, or at least how Paul was trying to teach and disciple the church into prayerful living. In context, Paul is writing to the Philippian church a friendship letter. They had been partners. We talked about this last week. They had been partners with him in ministry, financing his church planting trips, sending uh, even help people in person to help Paul, particularly when he was in prison or when he was sick. They, They partnered with him in every way. They had a joint venture in his ministry. So he's writing this letter of friendship and thanks but he also was concerned about one issue that the church was dealing with. He was concerned about disunity in the church. There was a conflict brewing in the church, particularly among two ladies, which he named just a few verses before the section we read. And he appeals to them, have the same mind. He says, I want you to agree with each other. I want you to get along because disunity is going to hurt the church. Now, the idea of church conflict is is very theoretical to all of you, I know, that we're talking about other churches here, mostly just first century churches. that experience. None of you have ever been in a church that has had any sort of conflict, right? Actually, we know that's not true, and we know that even in our not-so-distant past here at APA, we've had challenges ourselves. And so this is a very topical passage. Paul is addressing a church who is experiencing conflict. People disagree. People disagree all the time, even in church. It happens all the time. And so Paul comes with some advice. What do you do in disunity? And he gave this passage. Now think about this. If you're in a conflict with someone, maybe your boss, your coworker, your spouse, your child, heaven forbid, your pastor, and you go to somebody and you say, can you give us some advice? Can you help mediate this conflict? And instead of telling you who they think is right and who they think is wrong and who should say sorry and what what should go on. Instead, they say this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again and don't make me say it a third time. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's advice for conflict. He says, rejoice. Actually, he says, double rejoice. Be gentle. No fighting or violence is needed to deal with this. Remember, God is close by. Which means he's watching, on the one hand, but also he's here to help. Don't be anxious, because anxiety isn't going to help. It's going to actually make the problem feel bigger. Instead, pray about everything. And don't forget in the process to be really thankful. The result will be peace. Isn't that what conflict is? A lack of peace? Or a disruption of peace? Is that how you deal with your conflicts? Imagine you're in a fight with someone. You call up a friend. Hey! I'm just celebrating like crazy right now. How come? Me and my wife are fighting so bad. Praise the Lord. Oh, I'm so rejoicing right now. I can't stand my coworkers. They're the most annoying people I've ever met. I'm so thankful. That's what Paul's calling us to. It's not the only place he said it. He said something very similar to the Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When are you supposed to rejoice? All the time. When are you supposed to pray? Continually. It doesn't stop. Remember, it's not just an activity. It's an orientation and a lifestyle. And when are you supposed to give thanks? In good circumstances, yes. In terrible circumstances, yes. God, I'm going through this thing. I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. I don't know how to fix the problem. What is your will for this? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Paul says, this is God's will for your life. I don't ever want to hear anyone say, I have no idea what God's will is. Because it's right here. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Now, don't don't misunderstand Paul. Because he's not telling us that we're supposed to be happy, clappy Christians who pretend everything is always fine, nothing ever is bad. Because the Bible has all kinds of verses that talk about the value and importance of mourning and sadness and how that's part of the healing process. But I think what Paul is saying is in the midst of mourning, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of trial and difficult circumstances— You can actually resist those things. You can actually use this as a way to fight against the tyranny of circumstances by saying, I can't choose the fact that I'm suffering right now, but I can choose to rejoice. I can choose to be glad in the goodness of God. I can choose to praise my God no matter what's going on in my circumstance. It's a choice that a follower of Jesus always has. So again, notice what Paul is doing here. He's teaching the Philippian church to be a prayerful church. He's used at least five prayer words. Rejoice, pray, petition, present your requests, and give thanks. Those are all kinds of prayers. Are you in conflict, disunity? Are people taking sides? Are factions forming? Is the church unhealthy? The first thing, the second thing, the third thing, the fourth thing, the fifth thing to do is pray. Prayer is the beginning of the solution to every single problem the church is facing. I think many people are posting instead of praying. I think many people are protesting instead of praying. And I'm not saying that posting and protesting are never okay for the Christian, but have you spent time praying first? Are you prayerful about these issues more than you are about just getting them out in public and having your voice heard in the world? Because your voice can be heard in the throne room of the universe. The God of all creation is listening. Let me give you four characteristics I see in a prayerful church. Number one, a prayerful church is a unified church. This was Paul's main concern for the Philippian church, that they would be Unified. They would have one mind, one heart. Doesn't mean they always agreed on everything or always thought exactly the same way, but they would be united together. They would represent the body of Christ well because it was such a powerful testimony to be a unified church. Often when people are in conflict, their posture is facing each other and staring daggers at each other and pressing it. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. And that's the posture. But what happens when we pray? is we break that posture and then we stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm and hand in hand. And we're not staring at each other, assuming the other person is the problem. We stare at Jesus crucified. Jesus, who on the cross took every problem upon himself. He bore every sin upon himself So what we can do in prayer is we can turn side by side and we can view the problems being laid on Jesus, literally dying on the cross with him. And we can say, thank you, Jesus, for dealing with this problem. Now bring healing to our relationship. And he does. He can bring healing to our relationship. No matter how far apart you and somebody else are on a conflict, if you both get closer to Jesus, you'll find yourselves closer to each other. And the best way to do that is to swallow your pride, link arms, and start praying together. A praying church, a prayerful church, is a unified church. Jesus took all the blame on the cross, which means there's no more blame for us to cast at each other. When we play the blame game, we play the game of the devil who is called the accuser. Don't be a little accuser. Don't be a little devil accusing and blaming others. Allow Jesus to take the blame on the cross and walk in unity prayerfully together. A prayerful church is a unified church. A prayerful church, secondly, is guarded by peace. Verse 7, Paul said this, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, it doesn't make sense. We shouldn't feel peace because of our circumstance. That will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippi was a Roman colony, and it was likely populated by many um, uh, retired Roman soldiers. And so Paul actually uses a lot of military language just to try to make a connection with his audience. And at this very moment that Paul is writing, he's under Roman prison guard. He's in jail. He's got Roman guards guarding him. And so he understands what it means to be guarded by something. And so do the Roman soldiers in the church of Philippi. But Paul says, when you're prayerful, what happens is your guard becomes peace. And when you're guarded, there's no one who's allowed in or out. There's safety. There's protection. There's a wall. Things are, things are pushed away that are coming and trying to do terrible things. When you're guarded by peace, that's where fear is expelled. That's where disunity is expelled. That's where disaster is expelled. When you're prayerful, you are guarded by the peace of God. And a person at peace is a formidable person. A church at peace is an incredible testimony in a world that has gone crazy. When you're prayerful, a church that is prayerful is guarded by peace. Thirdly, a prayerful church experiences the presence of God. A prayerful church experiences the presence of God. Paul goes on in in part of the passage we we didn't take time to read. You continue on. He continues to give more advice for this situation particularly around how they're supposed to think about the situation, to have the mind of Christ in the situation. And he says, at first, he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Then in verse nine, he says, the God of peace will be with you. So you have the peace of God and you have the God of peace with you. You see, prayer is not just about asking God to give us stuff like peace. Prayer is about asking God to give us more of Himself, prayers about engaging with the presence of God, engaging with con- engaging in a relationship with Him, engaging in a friendship with Him, where we experience His goodness firsthand. Uh, I don't know about you, um, I don't I don't get to attend a lot of church services that I'm not the pastor of, <laughs> uh, but when I do, and even when I come here for my job my My biggest desire is not necessarily to uh have a great worship band. I love like our our team sounded amazing this morning. uh yeah, yeah, you should give them a hand and that's great I, I want you to leave here thinking, man, the worship team was great today, but that's not the main thing I want you to think about i, I don't want you to I don't want you to leave here just thinking about you know how nice and big. The building is or how terrible and big the building is, whatever your opinion is. I don't want you leaving here just thinking about how long-winded the preacher is or whatever. The primary thing I want to happen when I come to church is not to experience the stuff that church offers. I want to experience the presence of God. And and people, yeah, people like you or people who visit us for the first time, they can say whatever they want about the band or about me or about the building or whatever. They can say whatever they want. But primarily, I want people to leave here saying, I experienced God's presence. I God met with his people today. That's what I want to experience. And part of that is the responsibility of leadership, creating an environment, and us being prayerful. Part of that's your responsibility, coming and preparing your hearts and being ready to experience God. But that's the primary thing we want to experience. And prayerfulness engages us with the presence of God. The most famous prayer in the Bible is the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. You can find it in Matthew 5, uh, or sorry, Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And I find it fascinating, especially in the Luke 11 passage, because what happens is Jesus was praying, and the disciples came up to him. They saw him praying, and then they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Which, if you get the context, it's a wild question, because these are, are young Jewish men They they were probably pretty young. Some of them at least were likely teenagers. But they had a tradition at that time that was followed that three times a day at specific times, Jewish people prayed every single day. So these men, even though they were young, they had spent years of praying three times a day. They knew how to pray. They knew the mechanics. They knew the technique. They knew the posture of prayer. So what were they asking Jesus to teach them? They weren't asking Jesus to teach them the mechanics of prayer. They were asking Jesus to teach them how to experience a living relationship with the God that they had known from their infancy. You know, Jesus had a powerful preaching ministry, but no one ever, as recorded in the scripture, came up to him and said, teach us to preach. He had a powerful healing ministry. No one came to Jesus and said, teach us to heal. The only time we have recorded that people came to Jesus and said, teach us a specific thing is when they said, teach us to pray. Because there was something about Jesus' prayer life that was more than an activity. It was more than just the three times a day prayer. There was something deep and relational about Jesus' prayer life that the disciples wanted. And that's what I want to. I want to experience the presence of God in prayer. More than just having a posture and a habit of prayer. I want to experience God's presence. Fourthly, a prayerful church experiences the power of God. There are so many things in life that are beyond our power, beyond our control. Many of you have children who have wandered far from God. Some of you are struggling with a health diagnosis in yourself or in someone you love. We've seen natural disasters destroying parts of our world. We can name a thousand things that you and I have no Power over. But we serve a God who can do far and above all that we could ask or imagine according to his what? His power that is at work within us. And how do we have access to that power? Through prayerfulness. Not through ritual, but through a relationship, through an intimate connection with our God who loves to work on our behalf. When we pray, God moves. I think I think some of you don't think prayer works. And there are days where I struggle with my own faith when it comes to the efficacy of prayer. And sometimes you've prayed and things didn't work out, and sometimes you've prayed and things do work out. So what you've done is you say, well, sure, I prayed, but it's probably just a coincidence. There's a great quote by William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s. He said this, when I pray, Coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Amen. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Just last Sunday during our prayer ministry time, a woman came up, and uh, she came for prayer. And I saw her there, and and uh, she found me after the service. She said, "Pastor Dave, uh, I I feel so much better. All the swelling in my legs has gone down. I feel incredible, and it was awesome." Like. It was a really great coincidence, don't you think? It's weird how it happened. But here's the thing. When we pray for people, not everyone always gets better. I don't know why. Like, we can talk about unanswered prayer and the reasons for that. There's some biblical stuff and whatever. But I don't always know why. Sometimes when we pray for people, they still die. And sometimes when we pray for people, they live way longer than the doctors say they will. But either way, we're going to keep praying. Either way, we're going to keep seeking the presence and the power of God because he promised that he would be near. And we're going to ask, we're going to seek, we're going to, we're going to, in all situations, like Paul says, we're going to present our requests to God with thanksgiving. We present them with thanksgiving. We don't wait until God does what we ask him to do, to thank him. We present our requests with thanksgiving because God is so good that he will do what's best, no matter what. And so we will always continue to pray. And so we're going to pray for you. As the band is going to lead us in a song asking for the holy holy spirit's presence to be here to make us more aware of his presence. Our prayer team is going to come in a minute. If you have a prayer need, we want to pray with you. Not because we're a church that prays, but because we're a prayerful church. This is just it's not just what we do, it's who we are. It's a value that is deep within us and we will express it through joining you hand in hand, side by side in prayer. So Let's not just talk to God when we need a favor. And so I the other thing I want to do we're going to pray for you but but I want to I want to call out a challenge that some people in this room need to repent of prayerlessness. For whatever reason you've given up on prayer or prayer is just a thing you do when you remember or it's just a thing you do when you want God to do something for you. And God is gracious and God loves any kind of prayer. But some of us need to repent of prayerlessness We're using prayer as just a tool to try to get God to work for you. We need to turn that around and make prayer about a dynamic, life-giving friendship with the one who wanted to know you so bad that he came in the flesh and died on the cross for you to reconnect that relationship with him. So don't just pray once in a while. Pray continually. It's an old prayer. A lot of the church fathers taught it. And uh, I've started to to use it like when I go for a run. Because it's hard to like focus and, and do a full on prayer when I run. But this is the prayer Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The idea of mercy is more than just, you know, forgive me for doing wrong, but mercy asks for God to pour out his blessing on you. Because we don't deserve his blessing. I'd ask for him to be present. Ask for him to just be a part of your life. It's just a simple prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, the declaration of faith and who he is, have mercy on me. I don't know what to pray for, but I just invite you to work in my life. And so maybe that's just the place to start. You've been prayerless, but just start with that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Would you stand with me and bow your heads as we pray. Prayer team, please come on up right now so that you're ready when people are wanting to come up to pray with you. Come on up and uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. We're so grateful for your presence. We're so mm-hmm. grateful that you pour out your power on us. We're so grateful that you are near. And in every situation, in every circumstance, Lord, we call out to you. We praise your name. We rejoice in the good times and the bad. We want to pray not just just as an activity or a thing we do once in a while, but Lord, help us learn what it means to pray continually. To live a lifestyle of prayer and connection and communion with you. Lord, help us even in trial and difficulty and suffering to know what it means to call on your name. Lord, we repent of prayerlessness. We repent of using prayer as just a tool to try to manipulate you. And we ask you to teach us what it means to be prayerful, to engage with you in a living relationship, a friendship with God, knowing that you are good in all that you do. Is good. God, we also pray that you would guard our hearts and minds. That your peace would be among us and surround us and guard us. That this would be a church that is in unity so that we can grow in health, and life and those who gather with us would experience that goodness and that peace. And Lord, our unity and our peace would shine a light into a world that has gone crazy and is so disunified and it would attract people like a city on a hill to come and experience your goodness. We pray that your peace would guard us and that the God of peace would be with us. We pray this in the name of your Son who gives us access into your presence. And all God's people in unity said, Amen. Let's worship together. Come and receive prayer today.